This is Jason Holleran. I proudly served for 33 years, culminating as the Deputy Commandant at West Point. Put this on your calendar. World War II weekend inside Old Bethpage Village Restoration on Long Island. Scores of operational vintage armor in formation May 18th and 19th. Nassau County Executive Bruce Blakeman invites you to join him in saluting America's greatest generation and all those who have worn the uniform in defense of our freedoms. That's May 18th and 19th, presented by the Museum of American Armor. This is Cop Talk, talking crime, cases, and backing the blue. Now, here are your hosts, Captain Ed Mamet and Detective Kevin Schroeder. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Cop Talk. My name is Kevin Schroeder, retired NYPD detective, and I'm here with my co-host, retired Captain of Police, Ed Mamet. Hello, WABC listeners. Glad to be here for another session of Cop Talk. Today, we're recording our show on September 11th, the 22nd anniversary of that horrible day. Our guest is one of America's most patriotic performers. He's done countless work on behalf of the military, first responders, and children with special needs. His biggest song is a patriotic anthem that's given hope to generations of families of American servicemen fighting overseas. He's also part of our WABC radio family. You can catch Tony's show every Saturday night with Tony Orlando. He's also a part of my family. I'm proud to say he's my cousin. And he also is my babysitter when I was a baby growing up in Hell's Kitchen, (laughs) New York. Tony Orlando, welcome. Hey, cuz. Thank you for that introduction. Yeah, I used to change his diapers, everybody. I hate to tell you. (laughs) I I, I know him up close and personal. (laughs) Oh, God. Tony, you've always been a proud American. What does patriotism mean to you? Everything. I, I think, I think, you know, I work with a, uh, an organization right now. I'm on the board of an organization called Tribute to Valor. And it was started by Gary Luttrell, who is a recipient of the uh, Medal of Honor. And the whole concept of it is very much the concept of what makes the police force so important. Because they created this um, Tribute to Valor to bring to children in schools all over America the six core values of what the Congressional Medal of Honor recipients live by. And, of course, one of those core values is patriotism. You know, loyalty, honesty, and uh, love of country. Because if if you're not patriotic and you don't love the people who have put their life on the line for you and you don't support them, and that includes law enforcement, to me, the war zone is in whatever country we're trying to defend ourselves in, but also the war zone is in our own cities. And to me, there's no difference between the Marine on the front line and a policeman. Tony, your song, American High Rise, is a moving tribute to victims of 9-11. Tell me about that. What, made, what inspired you to write it? You know, I was sitting in a hotel room the day it happened, and I'm watching this happen on television, the first building and then the second building. And the thing is, is I'm born in New York, as you know. I play stickball 20 blocks north of that happening on 9-11. Mm-hmm. On 22nd Street between 6th and 7th Avenue, why did we play stickball there? 
was because it was a factory street. So factories were closed. So we could play all, all we wanted as long as we wanted. Right. But when I think that it was really a walk down to that area that I was watching on television, my entire body went to a place I'd never went to before. There was a sickness in my stomach and a, and, and a sadness in my heart that still is there. The way we were attacked on 9-11, this country's never seen before and hopefully we'll never see again. We were attacked on, the, on our own mainland. We never thought that would happen. We're, we're between two oceans. We thought we were totally protected. We never thought anybody would have the gumption to do that to America. I don't think we should ever forget it. What bothers me a little bit about 9-11 these days is I don't see the fervor of remembrance all over the country as we should. I don't think we do. We do, but we did for many, many years for Pearl Harbor. We lost more people at the 9-11 site than in Pearl Harbor. And I don't know why it is, why there's a forget factor, other than the city of New York who does not forget, Families of the uh, Gold Star families of the 9-11 incident, the police forces here, the firemen, and the residents of New York. We haven't forgotten in New York City, but I don't see that in the rest of the country. I don't see it, and I, don't th I think it should be never forgotten and always put us in a defensive mood, always put us in a place where we have to defend ourselves. So 9-11, talking about patriotism, if you remember when it happened, patriotism was golden. You saw it everywhere. You saw patriotism everywhere. And I think patriotism is the heartbeat of the country. If you take, if you take patriotism out of the heart of a body, which is this country, you're taking out everything it stands for. You know, the first time... I don't know if you know this, guys, but because of that little song, Tie a Yellow Ribbon, that little song has raised, they tell me, about $200 million since 1973 for veterans. Wow, awesome. Great. Okay, it's, it's an awesome thing what a song can do. So when I wrote American High Rise, I knew that in some way it would either help inspire someone, make sure no one forgets it, and I wrote it the day after... 9-11. I was watching Giuliani give a speech at City Hall, and he said, I'm going to rebuild and become stronger than ever. And that's what the song says, you know, and, and I'm very proud that I wrote it. It wasn't a hit. I don't think half the world even knows it exists. It's on YouTube. But someday, one of these days, hopefully it'll stand for an anthem as Yellow Ribbon has stood for our veterans. And there's a line with every angel that fell down, you know, they'll lift us off the ground. And that's those people who fell out the windows. And fell. I was at the, what was the restaurant's name? Windows of the World? Yeah. Right? Yes. That was the restaurant up there? Yes, on the top floor. Yeah, yeah. And I remember I was there with my daughter Jenny and my wife not too long before 9-11 happened. And I remember a magician coming up to the table and doing tricks, little hand tricks. And I remember the chef coming out and say, Tony, I love Yellow Ribbon. I love Knock Three Times. I love all your songs. And those very people are the people that jumped out that window. You know, so it's, it's burned into my memory.
on so many levels. Um, the World Trade Centers, it, it will always, always be in my heart and never to be forgotten. I hope, I hope people around the country who listen to Cop Talk understand what that symbolizes for America. Captain? You know, you mentioned uh, Pearl Harbor before. When I was a little kid, um, there was a song, Let's Remember Pearl Harbor. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah, And that sure. was for years. Uh, maybe we need something like that for about for uh, 9-11. Also, you mentioned the Medal of Honor at the event the other night that you were, uh, we were both at. Jack Jacobs was there. You know, he was a Medal of Honor winner. I know Jack. He was there, and uh, he's been on the show, too. So that yeah. Medal of Honor reference is very appropriate. Well, I've, you know, I've had the honor of hosting their dinners in Dallas, very close to the society, very close to those guys for a long time. You know, the first time I ever sang Yellow Ribbon was to welcome home our POWs from Vietnam, Cambodia, and Laos at the Cotton Bowl with Bob Hope. 70,000 people were there. I'll never forget it. And I've reunion with those guys every single year for 50 straight years. In fact, we just had our 50th anniversary together from the, since their homecoming. Well, that's great. Uh, you've been a strong supporter of uh, military and law enforcement, especially since you have a connection to our host here, Kevin. You're related. Um, throughout your career, you've been supportive. Can you talk about your work with these groups, particularly the police? Sure. Um, I, I remember when I first... I have two relatives. I have a brother-in-law who was with LAPD for 31 years and with Orange County for 15 years. In fact, he had a lot to do with the Amber Alert. He was the one that created that out in California. His name is Jim Amormino, and they're very close yeah, Jimmy, to Kevin. Yeah, they're, good friend. They're yep. very close friends. And uh, Kevin, I've been very proud of because of his, and his son who serves as a law enforcement Right there in that uniform on the street, I see him. I'm so proud of him, you know. Yes, three years yeah, on, still junior, rookie, but yeah, he's junior, learning. Yeah. Well, law enforcement, to, you know, I'll tell you what. I'm not happy at the way people talk about law enforcement today. It sickens my stomach, quite frankly. I, And I think it should go right back to the parenting, really. Because if I remember correctly, my mother would say, don't you ever, ever, ever talk back to a policeman. Don't you ever disrespect a cop. It was like a law in the house. It, you better not disrespect the priest, and you better not disrespect a cop. You say, yes, sir, Mr. Yes, sir, officer. No, sir, officer. Thank you, officer. I don't see that anymore. I don't see it. It has to come from the home. It has to, it, does, it can't come from a radio show. You're always on mine. And from the schools. And the schools. It has to be taught basic, even before school. It has to happen in the house. Stay hey, at home. What are you talking about? Don't you talk to a policeman like that? What are you kidding me? That's over. We don't see it anymore. You know, um, the movies that we used to see as kids, our gang comedies, those little kids, you know, the little rascals. Yeah. Remember how they, oh, dude, here right. comes the officer. Oh, here it comes. And do you remember Singing in the Rain? Yes. The movie. Remember when Gene Kelly was dancing around the post and he's singing, singing in the rain, and it's pouring rain. <coughs> At the end of his dance, there's a cop walks right up to him, and he kind of stops and 
puts, pulls himself together and so, he bows to the cop and says, thank you, sir, and thank you, officer, and walks by him. That you don't see in movies anymore. Until we get back, I think, to respecting the police officer, respecting the Medal of Honor, respecting those who serve their time in, in, in military, we're going to be in trouble because that's where the respect should start. Family, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, police officers, and firemen, right. and priests. Right, it's true. <laughs> How can we as uh, civilians do more to support the troops and first responders? Everything we can. There is no one way. You do whatever you can. I mean, what? look, I'll share a story with you guys. This is a story I want you to hear. And that those of you at home on this wonderful podcast, I want you to hear. So you can imagine after 50 years working with military and first responders, which is what I've done since 1973, when Yellow Ribbon came out. I go to Iraq in 2008 with my band. We perform for the troops. We then go to Germany to Rheinstadt Air Force Base to visit the wounded. And a guy walks up to me, one of the, one of the uh, doctors who's German, because we're in Germany, says to me, Tony, I can't do a German accent because Tony, he said, uh, you're from New York. I said, yes, sir. He said, uh, do you have a strong stomach? I said, depends. Like, what do you mean? He goes, well, <clears throat> there's a young man who's been hurt pretty bad. We have him in the next room. And his mother and father is coming in from New York. And what they're going to see is going to be tough. Would you tell them that this, their son's going to live? But first, I want you to see this young man. I said, okay. I walk in, and there's this 19-year-old, a torso. No arms, no legs. Wires coming out of every part of his body. And I turned to the doctor, and I said, wait a minute. You're telling me that this young man's going to live? Yeah. In fact, he's going to Walter Reed Hospital in three days. And his mother and father, Mr. and Mrs. Morocco, his name is Brendan Morocco, are coming here today. Would you tell them, please, that he's going to live? I said, you want me to do that? He goes, yes, I don't speak very good New York. So in comes the mother, in comes Mr. and Mrs. Morocco. And I say, Mrs. Morocco, she goes, what are you doing here, Tony Orlando? I said, I'm here visiting the troops. I visited your son. And I'm going to tell you what you're going to see in there it's going to be tough for you. But I promise you this. I've been told by the doctors that your son's going to be okay. He's going to live. She says, get out of my way. I want to see my son. And she literally moves me aside and walks into the room. And I'm waiting to hear a scream. I'm waiting to hear a yell. I'm, I'm waiting to hear something, anything. And there was total silence. I thought she may have fainted. But out she comes. Pale white, like I've never seen anybody pale white. And she's t Tony. I was prepared for my son to die in this war, but I was not prepared for my son 
to look like this. I said, Mrs. Morocco, I have a friend of mine. His name is Dean Kamen. What if I tell you that he invented a prosthetic that can pick up a grape without squishing it and pick up a raisin without dropping it? What if I tell you because of that invention, your son someday in the future on a Christmas morning will be able to untie a ribbon, pull the gift out and say, Merry Christmas, Mom. And she said, don't mess with me, Tony. I said, I didn't say probable. I said possible. So I called Dean Kamen, the inventor of this process, which was on 60 Minutes just two weeks before that I was there in Iraq. <clears throat> so I call him and he says, I'll be at Walter Reed. I'll let you know if he's a candidate. Four months go by. I don't hear from anybody. So I'm thinking that Brendan Morocco passed away. I go to an event in Dallas, Texas for American Airlines called Skyball, which I started for American Airlines. It's an American Airlines initiative for veterans. And who comes on stage? Brendan Morocco. Hey, is Tony Orlando here? Yeah. Brendan Morocco is going to get his prosthesis. I said, oh, my God, thank you, God in heaven. Thank you so much for this. Seven months go by. I don't hear from anybody. I'm thinking, okay, he didn't make it. I finally got the courage to pick up and call Alex Morocco, his father. Alex, is Brendan okay? Oh, yeah. Did he get his prosthesis? No, he turned it down. I said, wait a second. Your son turned it down? He said, yeah. I said, why? He said he wanted to be a guinea pig for his friends in Afghanistan. He wanted to have cadaver arms, real skin. He wanted to be that guinea pig and try it. Guess what? You go to Wikipedia right now, you go to the name Brendan Morocco right now, and you'll see Brendan Morocco doing chin-ups. Chin-ups. I'll repeat it to you. Chin-ups with... Two arms that were donated to him by a 15-year-old girl. A 25-hour 25, 25 operation. He is now driving his own motorcycle. He's now picking up a quarter and a dime without even, like, nothing. It's unbelievable. Wow. That's the reward you get when you're patriotic. When you go and you see something like that, and you see the courage of a young man like that, you see that he's able to face the danger and then be a sacrificial person for his friends who are serving Afghanistan. That's what I've been taught because of a little song called Tie a Yellow Ribbon 50 years ago. It's an honor, it's a privilege to be able to stand up there for police force and for our military. And that's why I'm so proud of you, Kevin, because I've watched you over the years Stan, I remember one day, as a civilian, a lady got her pocketbook stolen in Atlantic City. You jumped out of the, out of the a dinner that we were having. You ran under the boardwalk and you tackled this guy. You put your life on the line for this lady's pocketbook. Yeah, I can't believe you remember that story. <laughs> I could I'll never forget it. Yeah. I, was never so, yeah. I was never more so proud of you. As I was that day. And you could have been killed that day. And you weren't in uniform. And you were no, out of state. No. Yeah, right in front of me, uh, a lady was at the cash machine, and the guy grabs some money and runs out. It was like a movie. 
ran out the door, down an escalator, out the front door, onto the that. boardwalk. I chased him. I caught him. Security's behind me. I think they thought I was the bad guy. So they put my description over the air. But I was chasing a bad guy. I caught him underneath the boardwalk. And then uh, everybody was happy, and he was arrested. And actually, security asked me, they said, what can we do for you? I said, absolutely nothing. I said, but thank you. I was happy to even be there. And then they said, well, we can get you tickets to Tony Orlando show tonight. I said, I think I'm okay, but thank you very much. Yeah, you had the front row. Yes. But was, you know it was what? Great. It was the great. The truth of the matter is, is that every single person you've ever introduced me to that serves on our New York Police Department would have reacted the same way. Absolutely. Every single one you've ever yep. introduced me to would do that. Very and true. you know what I remember most about that? The thank you that you got from that lady. The thank you was like, thank you so much. Thank you. You know, everybody thanks the cop when he comes in a situation like that. Right. Even the ones that sit around and say, defund you. Right, right. And, and those situations, you know, happen every day throughout the country with law enforcement. Yeah. Making, you know, doing, a, doing God's work. And at the end of the day, all they do is, you know, pick and choose what they want to you know, uh, criticize. Let me ask you a question. You mind if I ask him a question? It's your podcast, but can I ask you a question? Well, he's, he's in charge of your this Your son's job. a cop right now. <laughs> yes. I don't think there was ever a day when you were a cop, I don't think there was ever a day that you saw what is now possible to happen to your son. How do you sleep at night? Seriously, Kevin, how do you take that in? Kevin Jr. is out there in the street and he's not even appreciated Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Right. It's it's not a good time to be in law enforcement. However, it's what we do. It's in your blood. It's a calling. I feel it's a calling. So Definitely. and it's what he wanted to do. And thank God he's doing it. And he's happy doing it. So but I believe that everything hits rock bottom. Then it comes back up like it took. Unfortunately, it took 9-11 for police officers and firemen to get their respect. And now, you know, hopefully it won't take something like that to get our respect back. But I think the country's going downhill so fast that eventually it's got to come back up. It's got to rise up. America has to rise up. Well, if we don't get those core values of loyalty and patriotism, love of country, if we, we, don't, if we don't get there, we won't come back. Well, I got news for you. Sad we'll be true. as more vulnerable than ever because we'll be thinking we're okay, not caring. But when you don't care, the enemy does. Right. True. True. Very true. It's, uh, I mean, every... Police department throughout the country has a problem recruiting and and re, you know retaining. Well, how you know? do you blame them? Yeah, I mean, how's imagine my my uh, I'm a parent. Well, you you're used to being a policeman. My daughter says I'm going to be a cop. I'd be scared to death. Yeah. No, 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 no. Whatever you do, don't become a cop. Are you kidding? What you're going to walk out into that? If you shoot someone, you're wrong. Even if that person was shooting at you. Right. You're never right. Right. And you know it's ridiculous what's going on. As we've said many times here on Cop Talk, you know, police officers have a split second decision to make. 
You know, uh, everyone wants to be a Monday morning quarterback and sit around a table for days, weeks, and months to decide, well, maybe the cop should have used his mace or should have used his taser gun or whatever. But at the split-second moment, that was the decision. He felt at the right time. And that was the decision. I heard a podcast that you did with Stephen Van Zandt. I was just going to mention that to you. <laughs> right. And I, I loved, I loved his, his heart. I loved that he wanted to say the right thing and do the right thing. He, and he meant every word of it when he said, why don't we teach them martial arts? <clears throat> and why doesn't he shoot for the knees? And you said, wait a minute, Steve. Remember what you said to him about martial arts? You yes. said, yeah, that's only going to hurt a cop. You're only going to end up having more problems if you go into martial arts. Even though the intent and the concept that Stephen was coming up with was really very cool. Really was. Okay. But you put it into a realistic world, a realistic sense when, when you answered him. And then you talked about shooting in the legs. Well, what if you miss? The way you said that to him. Well, what if you miss? We got to go for the biggest part of the body so we don't miss. It's common sense, you know. Even though our hearts think one way, common sense goes another. Yeah, well, that comes from the people watching too many cowboy movies where they shoot the gun out of the other guy's hand or they shoot oh, the hat off his head. Again, the movies know? get to take two, take three, take four. You know, on the street, it's, there is no take two. It's right then and there. Yeah, the, the public time. has a major misconception about how police handle themselves in these kind of encounters. You don't want to struggle with anybody because you'll get injured, as we said before. And also, um, as far as shooting, it's a last resort. And if, you, uh, if you're going to shoot, then you shoot to stop the threat and you fire over the largest part of the body. You yeah. can't shoot people in the arms and legs. It doesn't work. People forget, Tony, and I know you know this and so do you, Captain, you know, Police officers are allowed to use necessary force to make an arrest. You're allowed to use force. Now what you're sending a message is don't use any force. Now the cop, unfortunately, you know, it may not be a good outcome. I mean, a cop could be in seriously injured or killed in a line of duty due to the fact they're afraid to use necessary force. Look, it's common sense that there's got to be a bad cop somewhere. Sometimes you meet up with a cop that's just a bad guy. Look at him doing the wrong thing, no different than a civilian who's a bad civilian doing a bad thing. That one guy is making a bad name for, right. for hundreds of thousands of good, solid policing and enforcing the law the right way and shooting the guy when the guy deserves it. Right. You know what I, I was watching? Tell me if this is true. That a guy with a knife coming at you is in some ways more dangerous than Anything is that true? That a knife, because he slices slices you up and hits you. You know he's only two feet away from stabbing you. Is is that a fact that policemen are very very careful when it comes to a knife attack? I think any weapon, really. You know what I mean? Whether it be a baseball bat or a knife or a gun, really. Well, well I can tell you a famous story that happened when I was when I first came into the department in the early '60s. There was a call down in the Bowery of a deranged uh, person and a sergeant, his name was Johnson, responded with his driver. And from the distance of six feet, the, um, the guy came at him with a knife and Sergeant Johnson emptied his revolver and the guy went clear across the room, shot and landed and plunged the knife into Johnson's chest and killed him. From six feet, went all across. That was, I'll never That's forget what I that. Heard. 
That happened, I think, New Year's Eve in 1960 or 61. It was a very famous case. In that the fi- was the, what I heard. In the That's fifth the precinct. So, yes, so the knife can be, even after the guy was shot, the momentum of his, of his body brought him right in close contact with the sergeant and killed him. You've, uh, you've worn many hats, songwriter, producer, music industry, executive, TV star, radio host. Uh, when you were a kid, did you ever dream that you, um, you'd have such a uh, career? Yeah. Yeah, I dreamt it. I dreamt all of that and more. I dreamt every single thing that's ever happened to me. But only God, uh, you know, ushered it in. It's, it's always a total, a total blessing. It's a gift from God himself because I never saw high school. I only went to the eighth grade. And here I am. I've worked for nine presidents. Here I, my palate has tasted the foods of 33 countries. I've worked for the Queen of England. I have been in this business now my 64th year, 52 years headlining in Vegas, sold 75 million records, worked on Broadway in Barnum, did movies with Adam Sandler, Made a lot of money, lost a lot of money, but I lived a good life and I lived a dream. I mean, it's a blessing. And yes, everything I ever did in life, I, I wanted to do. I wanted to be an executive. I wanted in, in, the, sh- in the business. I wanted that. And I worked with the great Clive Davis for four years. I signed Barry Manilow. I worked with James Taylor, Blood, Sweat, and Tears. I had a great run. So, and I worked with Carol King at 16 years old and worked with her as a writer and producer. Had a great run. I had four years on a network television show, 36 million people a week, a week for four years on Tony Orlando and Dawn show. All a blessing, all a dream come true, but I dreamt it from day one. Tony, you're from New York. I know you love New York. What are your thoughts on New York today? Well, I think the taxes are too high. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> and they're going to go up too. <laughs> and I think that's one of the reasons why people are leaving something like 400,000 people left this town. And many of them wealthy. Not the poor people, the poor people here. But the wealthy people left. And those people supported Broadway. They supported just about everything in this town. I walked past the Chrysler building and every single storefront that's on the bottom of the Chrysler building is empty next to the Capitol Grill. I never thought I'd see that. No, something's got to be done about the lifestyle in this city, something's going to be done for the people who can't afford that skinny building in the middle of town that cost $900 billion to live on the 10th floor. Something's got to be done because it's getting to the point where people won't want to live here anymore. And the people that are productive, creative, are going to other cities they're not here, and that, that saddens me, but I do see a great future, and here's why. Because with each generation in New York City, whether it be the Irish when they came here, the Italians when they came here, and their beginnings, they had rough beginnings, but they pulled themselves up by the bootstraps. You know why? Because New York teaches that. New York is a city that teaches to, to, to be, pull yourself up and get out there and work, work hard. And that work ethic will never leave this city because the city runs on a work ethic. And I really believe that as time goes on, it'll rejuvenate, 
It'll find a new, like you just said, Kevin, it'll find this new step. But right now, it's kind of sad. I, I don't want to, I, I walked down here the street the other day, and I saw piles of garbage on the street. Come on. Come on, man. There's garbage on the street. You got pandemics going on. You're worried about shots and you're worried about all that. But you're going to leave the garbage piled up to the third story of a building? It's probably going to get worse because according to the um, newspapers, uh, Eric Adams says he's going to cut all city agencies by 15%. 15%. So you'll have more garbage. <laughs> well, forgive the pun, but that's going to stink. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. You want to cut 15% It's going to get very stinky out there, but I'll tell you that right now. Tony, what is your hopes for the future of this country? I hope that we're able to defend it militarily. That's my biggest hope. Because I think we're, we're in the midst, unfortunately, coming close to having some people who want to do us in. And don't forget the police. We have to keep the police strong, too. Right? Well, yes, that's our first an line absolute, of defense that's an absolute on the civilian end. And, and our military. I, I put them both... You know, I put them both in the same in the same paragraph. If you keep the police strong and you keep the military strong, a country stays strong. Right. You know? True. Peace through strength. Isn't that the lot? Isn't that the term? Peace through strength. Right. So Tony was honored by the NYP, the Holy Name Society, as man of the year, and actually marched in a parade and we had a mass at St. Patrick's I Cathedral. Remember. You're also honored by the Detective Endowment Association, by the Widows and Children, as well as he was also Man of the Year. Which the water is so big, it's still in your basement. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> I got to get it out to Branson for sure. And then years ago, we had it, we had Tony honored by the Midtown North Detective Squad. And uh, that was a great event as well. And then for many years, doing the telethon with Jerry Lewis for the Mustard MDA, Muscle Dystrophy Association. 33 years. 33 years. And and the police force came out all yes. the time. We used to, uh, I used to have about 10 detectives. We'd answer the telephones. Yeah. Uh, live on TV and right here in New York City in the studio. And yeah. Jerry Lewis was out in Vegas and you were here in New York. And, and when the police answered the phones, this is the truth, that tote board went through the roof. Because there was something special about you guys coming on that. And Jerry used to compliment me. We had the fire department for years. The fire boys right. were always behind Jerry. But when he saw police come out, that's, that's thanks to you, Kevin. Thank the you. police came out in full force and raised millions of dollars for MDA. Saving money on exterior wall lights. Now at Menards. Find your style with Patriot Lighting. Exterior lights enhance the look of your home. Choose from over 50 options from Patriot Lighting. Now through May 19th, get $10 instant savings on a single qualifying purchase of $100 or more on in-stock outdoor wall lights. Check out our entire selection of outdoor lights and see the rest of our deals happening now on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. So, Captain? Well, I think it was a great interview. It was an honor meeting you. Bless you. Thank you. And, um... You are an inspiration to many people, and I hope many police officers heard what you have to say, or are going to hear what you have to say, and will be encouraged to stay in the police work or, or, or join up. with a major problem now with recruitment and retention. And well, uh, God bless you, and God bless this police force of ours in New York. They are have always been the greatest police force in the world, and they will continue to be if they have five members. Thank you. Cousin Tony, thank you so much. It was a 
an honor and a privilege to have you on Cousin, the podcast. I can't believe I'm on your show. <laughs> Unbelievable. Your show. Unbelievable. My but, cousin, uh, some of my cousins. <laughs> well, we had two cousins. We had yeah, my cousin. You had your right. cousin on. Yeah. Mamet. Yeah. 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 Kevin's cousin. It's a cousin show. Your cousin's a legend in our business. Yeah. Yes, he is. He's a very smart fellow. But yeah. Tony, thank you so much. I mean, you do thank you, Kevin. God's work every day and thank uh, you. keep thank up you the great work. Me. And we can't wait to see you soon again in New York. Thank and the NYPD love you and I, I know love you love them too. back. Thank you. And give my uh, best to the family, okay? Thank his you. wife, Franny, you and his daughter, Jenny, his son, John. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of Cop Talk. You can follow us on Twitter at Cop Talk WABC. That's at Cop Talk WABC. If you like what you hear, please subscribe. Until then, stay safe, everybody. Thank you.